I'm Chelsea Fairless. And we were recording on a rough morning, I think, for each of us. <laughs> it's not that rough for me. Okay, just for me then. Yeah, how are you? Are you, like, what's up? I'm fine. I mean, I'm still in Florida, unfortunately. Uh, you are in New York. We are facing the nor'easter storm down here, so it, it's oddly cold. It is so cold in Florida that iguanas are going into shock and falling from trees. Like there were, oh, no. there were iguana falling warnings all weekends. Wow. Yeah, that's some real Florida shit. Yeah, you know how in LA there are like wind advisories or fire advisories? South Florida evidently has iguana falling advisories. I think it's really funny because there was a snowstorm in New York. Even though it snows here every year, like even New Yorkers act like it's never fucking snowed before. Have you noticed that? I mean, in LA, the equivalent is rain. People like to say it never rains in LA. It does. And like New Yorkers, every time it rains, people are like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, it's really weird. I mean, it hasn't really cramped my style because I've had to work from the hotel room anyway. (laughs) I did see you posting a photo of yourself out on Saturday night in the snowstorm in heeled mules. And I was very nervous for you that you were going to slip and fall. Well, I mean, you can wear shoes like that in a blizzard if you take cars. I don't know. There was a photo of you on a staircase, an outdoor staircase. I got very nervous. I mean, yeah, I I did almost die. I can't do this podcast alone. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that was your first thought. (laughs) Yeah. Not for not for you or, you know. Yeah, even though I've been in New York, I haven't really been doing that much cultural stuff, you know, which is kind of a bummer. Although I did see American Utopia yesterday, you know, the David Byrne musical, which Ooh. isn't really a musical. It's basically just him performing in a Broadway theater. But it was so nice to go to a Broadway theater for the first time in like three years, you know, and I saw a matinee. Call back to last week's episode. Love a matinee. There you go, Seema. Yeah, I think Bruce Springsteen is the first musical artist who kind of rope-a-doped Broadway and musical audiences or concert audiences to be like, oh, I'm just going to do a concert and call it and tell some stories in between and call it a Broadway show. Yeah, I mean, it was mostly just him singing, although he did like pop in here and there to like lecture us about voting and stuff. But it was pretty cool. How big was his suit? It wasn't that big. It was just him and like the entire like all the musicians were just wearing these very like chic, simple, like dove gray suits. Very classic. We again could not have more diametrically opposed trips. I've been in my grandmother's closet and apartment in kind of like the chillest episode of Hoarders. Like my grandmother is not a hoarder at all, but like we are having to go through every single thing she owns because she's coming to Los Angeles. Get ready, Chelsea, a woman after your own leopard print heart. Well, I mean, so are you getting good cast offs, though, like when Lily went through Carrie's closet? Yeah, yeah. My grandmother is quite the shopper and oftentimes has forgotten what she purchased. And I was like, oh, Grammy, what's this like Sailor on belt you have? And she was like, oh, I don't even remember buying that. I was like, "Okay." And I showed up the next day and she was like, aren't you going to take your belt? And I said, what? She goes, you found it. So I'm kind of like a sartorial Indiana Jones. (laughs) Great. Love that for you. God, we're both sounding like raspy. I swear I don't have COVID again. It's just this East Coast weather. Look. 
If I survive Florida, of which every restaurant we go to, no one is wearing masks, including the waiters who just stand over me and I don't get COVID, I think I'm blessed with luck the entire year. Or did I use up all my luck for the year? <laughs> anyway, what is this episode about again? We are going through your calls because you guys have been so amazing calling our hotline that just covering a few in the first few minutes of each recap episode would not do. So we are dedicating a full episode to calls and we're going to talk about it. Great. So let's get into our first call. Hey, it's Amanda from Brooklyn. Um, I know I'm a week late on this now, but I coming back to Miranda and Steve, I guess I just don't understand why they have to blow up her life in order for her to get to explore this new side of herself. Like, why was the first step divorce and not just talking to Steve about an open marriage? Yes and no, because while I think that open relationships can work for some couples, I think it's tricky when you open up a relationship this deep into a marriage when you're only really opening things up because one person has one foot out the door, right? Like this is a last resort. Or a halfway point of, I don't directly want to divorce you, so I'm going to introduce the concept of an open marriage first. Yeah, but then again, maybe Steve like would be down. Like he's still wearing his ring and maybe he's not that interested in having sex with Miranda anyway. So he'd be like, sure, whatever. There is a disconnect where the show wants to be progressive and kind of catch up to the times and doesn't do it in very obvious ways. This is one of them. I agree with you. They don't seem to be that couple, but hey, and just like that takes place in an alternate reality. So why not give them an open marriage? Yeah. Having listened to the Writer's Room podcast, specifically the episode where they discuss Miranda bringing up the divorce with Steve, the writers have an obsession with the truth. And it's like, if this happened to someone, therefore it's valid. And the writers did discuss that they have friends who have left marriages that were fine, but they just felt unfulfilled. Right. I feel like those are good jumping off points to then kind of deepen the narrative you're trying to tell with that. Yeah. And I also do think it's kind of unfair how people are dragging Miranda for cheating on Steve and stuff like that, because I think that if... One partner neglects their other partner in a long sexually in a long term relationship. I do think that the neglected partner has the right to cheat. This is very in line with your feelings about Sex in the City one. That Steve cheating is not that big of a deal. No, he cheated on her once. And did you see how it tore up this man inside? He didn't even have to say shit about it. He came clean because he's a good guy, even though he should have really just kept it to himself. Hi, Lauren. Hi, Chelsea. In my opinion, in all the things that Che is a bad representative of, one of them is the representation for weed smokers. Yeah, just when we finally destigmatize cannabis use, Che Diaz comes along and sets the movement back like 20 years. I mean, I think we're only one Che plot away from people thinking that marijuana is a gateway drug again. Like, it does feel like the writers watch Reefer Madness right before <laughs> writing the character of Che. You're more of a weed smoker than I am. But like, I don't think it allows you to forget things like replying to people. Like, it's not like I'm like, hey, Chelsea, you forgot to record today. And you're like, oh, man, I just had all of the weed. Yeah, I think it only really affects your short term memory loss if you're like high at the time. I mean, I don't know how much weed they are smoking a lot, actually. I guess if they're high all the time. If they're basically just smoking at funerals, in elevators, like 
yeah, I guess that isn't surprising that they would just forget entire chunks of their life. Like I'm someone that smokes pot when I'm in bed, like about to go to sleep. I truly believe that they gave Che that pipe that they smoke throughout the series because if they had given them a vape pen, I feel like they were worried we wouldn't get that it was weed and not like an e-cigarette or something. Yeah, and maybe that it would like set a bad example for children who love a vape. (laughs) And who love it just like that. (laughs) And just like that is for the youth. (laughs) Yeah, I really need to hear from from teen viewers. (laughs) I would love their read. Hey, Lauren and Chelsea. My name is Annabelle. Um, I've been thinking about how And Just Like That is kind of Michael Patrick King's David Lynch moment in that the third season of Twin Peaks is an abstract meditation on nostalgia and how you can never go back. And if you do, things are strange and uncanny and unfamiliar. And this reboot of Sex and the City makes us question the very notion of nostalgia. And maybe that's the point. I think this is a very interesting and valid interpretation of In Just Like That, because I think that In Just Like That, as well as other IP with fervent fan bases, Star Wars in particular, have shown that just because you can go back, should you go back? However, I don't think that this is Michael Patrick King's intention. Like, I don't think this is his Sex in the City, The Return. (laughs) For one, it it has a different name. But I think that the show represents the perils of nostalgia for viewers only, and it was not the artist's intention. Yeah, I mean, I didn't watch the third season of Twin Peaks because I watched the first two, like, 15 years ago, and I could barely tell any of the male characters apart then. So I just can't go through it again. But I do think this sounds intriguing. Yeah, you can't go home again. That is true. That is a fact in life. And that is the reality of and just like that. I think that may have been kind of deliberate, right? I don't. They're revisiting things, but they're kind of the same, but they're not really the same. I'm not saying that he had a broad vision about making a point about nostalgia like David Lynch did. But and just like that is as depressing as the elephant man, but not as grounded in reality is the elephant man <laughs> this made me think like oh my god can you imagine if that scary guy that lives behind the diner in Mulholland Drive just popped up in one of the girls brunch scenes although I mean a frequent or sometimes David Lynch collaborator Justin Thoreau who appeared twice on Sex in the City which is pretty surreal so I you know again it's a very valid interpretation This call also reminded me of the fact that my neighbor is David Lynch. (laughs) Yes, he lives in a bright pink art deco palace. It is stunning. It is. And he also owns the two homes next to him, one of which is the exterior location for Lost Highway, too. And it really looked like, how could this building be anything other than a contemporary art center that was like built in the 1980s? I remember a time that I was looking out my window once and I saw a couple, the woman was wearing a very stylish trench coat. And then I like had a full body shiver because I realized it was Kyle MacLachlan hugging Laura Dern. (laughs) I'm so sad I missed that. Did you run out and be like, hey, Kyle, I have this Sex in the City fan account. No, I put I put white paint on my face like I'm Robert Blake in Lost Highway. And I'm like, I'm calling you right now. (laughs) Deep Lynch references, guys. Deep Lynch references. That's a major sighting. That's like among the best I've ever heard. 
Hi, ladies. I'm a listener from Los Angeles, uh, a listener who once lived in Humboldt County, of all things. Anyways, as a Jewish viewer of And Just Like That, I was a little bummed that they decided to go with calling it a they mitzvah for rock, because there is an actually Jewish alternative to that, to a bar about mitzvah, which is a benign mitzvah that's used for when it's multiple people, like if there's twins, or as a gender-neutral alternative. We should have played this call last week, but we didn't. So here it is. It's a benign mitzvah, not a they mitzvah. Thank you to our Jewish callers for pointing this out. Hi, I just realized that there's a really missed opportunity, and maybe they'll cover this in the finale, but for Charlotte to come to Che for advice about rock. Yeah, I mean, that does make sense. However, I wonder if maybe it's the woke Charlotte in Charlotte that doesn't want Che to do that emotional labor on an ally's behalf. Yeah, that's what I thought, too. Although I do think that Charlotte asking Che a series of well-intentioned but misguided questions about gender does have great comedic potential. But in lieu of this, I feel like there's no way that Che is not going to make an appearance at Rock's Benai Mitzvah. Will pop up everywhere. Like, God forbid that the supporting characters interact in the main characters' lives in this show. Hi, every outfit. I want to talk about the sub characters from the original season coming back as seemingly different characters. First, we had Seema's dad, who was the busboy at the restaurant who kissed Samantha. And then we had Seema's new love interest, who was the Prada store associate. I want to know who can we expect next? Well, I think Margaret Cho could produce the Benai Mitzvah. I would definitely like to see Jennifer Coolidge uh, reprise her oh, role God. as a deranged, divorced handbag designer, uh, which, let's face it, is not that different from her character on The White Lotus. I would love for Justin Thoreau to come back. I know we've mentioned this several <laughs> times, but I would like him to now be a New York Magazine writer sent to do a cover story on Carrie's grief memoir. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah, because he always plays writers, right? Or no, yeah. he played short story writer and then... No, he was an author in the first one, but of oh. novels. And so that seems like a, a correct trajectory for some late 90s hot shit writer to now be doing profiles for New York Magazine. And then I'd like for Tatum O'Neill to come back, but mm. now she's with like a stone butch. Mm-hmm. Hot. Yeah, I can see that. Well, like Tatum O'Neill has Les Dowd in recent years. Yeah, and also just that character in general, just a, a New York woman. She's meant to be like a Nan Golden type of the 90s who then pivoted to photographing babies in buckets. That then became Ann Gettys, basically. Yeah, seems like the woman that would become a late-in-life lesbian. Totally. Remember when we saw Tatum O'Neill at the PJ Harvey concert? Wait, I don't remember that. We you have did. no memory of that? Oh. No, my memory of the PJ Harvey concert was that woman in the row in front of us who refused to sit down and got in a huge fight with the person in the row behind us. Not Jenny Shimizu. She was also <laughs> in front of us. See, that's more what I was focused on. Also, I would love to see Bobby Carnavale come back for one last... We'll, we'll put this up on stories, but we did, for our newer listeners, newer followers maybe, we did write a whole opening scene for what would have been our Sex in the City 3 which could have easily been, and just like that, which was Samantha's funeral, where there were a lot of people from the past who show up. Funky tasting spunk guy being one of them. Also, the person that presided over our Samantha funeral was Friar Fuck. Yeah, I'd love to see Friar Fuck. 
And we had Samantha dying in a freak Hitachi jacuzzi accident. Yeah, we can link to that in uh, the episode notes. You know what would also be funny is if Jerry Hollowell had another just completely unnecessary, unexplained cameo. Oh my God, if David Duchovny came back. Oh yeah, there's so many possibilities. The one that I'm shocked that they didn't do is Amy Sedaris because SJP and Amy Sedaris are close friends and because it just seems like with the she's writing a book plot line that is an organic way to bring Amy back. Yes, I do think that this caller was asking us what guest stars we'd like to play other people, but no, we just want them we back. Missed the point. <laughs> we missed the I don't point care. I want I It just reminded me of all the people who were on the show that I would just like back. And I feel like organically could be back in the show. Totally. Hi, this is Lee calling from New York. I just have to say, I find it so annoying that they never film Sex in the City during winter. During the cold, bleak winter months of January in New York, it's very uninspiring. And I just feel like if they actually did show the characters and what they did during the winter months, the show would be exciting. And therefore, the show just adds to the unrealistic fantasy of New York. Well, Chelsea, you have up close and personal experience to New York winters right now. Would you like to give your thoughts? Sure. I mean, if they shot in just like that in the thick of a New York winter, it would be more depressing than every Igmar Bergman film combined. And if you are a rich woman, like these characters are like New York winters don't really affect you in the same way because you take cars everywhere, you know? So I don't even think like we'd get to see them like in a more like unglamorous state necessarily. No, but I definitely think that Seema would have a salt guy. And what I mean by that is like her driver is also just throwing salt onto the street so that the snow melts in front of her as she walks. Totally. I mean, I would love to see one diner scene where they've just been caught in a storm on the way to the diner. I think that would be really funny. Um, But yeah, New York winters can be really harrowing. Lauren, did I ever tell you about that time that I got caught in a garbage tornado during the winter? Yes, but I love hearing the story. Okay, I was walking to my hair appointment. I was like in a desolate, like industrial Bushwick street. And I see this thing coming towards me. And (laughs) I couldn't get out of its way. And the thing was a tornado of garbage and snow. And I was caught in it. And I was pelted with dirty Dasani bottles, like (laughs) dirty newspapers, gravel, like cat litter, like just everything you can imagine. It was so fucked up. Was the snow yellow? Oh, God. I don't even know. I couldn't even see. You know what I mean? Like, it was like a very Miranda moment. Miranda could definitely be caught in a in a garbage tornado. Yeah, it's interesting what they've chosen to throughout the series portray as realistic and things that they just want in this kind of permanent utopia. And the permanent spring that they've kind of always shot in is one of them, except for in case we get calls about this. Yes. Season season 6B takes place in winter, an actual winter, because also the way that they shot it, I mean, they were shooting basically a week before the show premiered in December. The only time they actually shot in winter is in the sixth season. So even if they had portrayed winter, it would just be that fake snow, which always bothers me in shows when it's supposed to be winter. And it's like, I can't see your breath. Like, I obviously know this is 70 degrees, 70 degrees and in Los Angeles. No, it's true. I mean, they did also film in winter in the first movie. Oh, right. Because it was like New Year's Eve and shit. Moving on to this deranged call. 
And I, I spoke to my wife last night, and she told me she wants a divorce, and she's, she's dating a woman. Is Miranda non-binary, too? Have you talked to Carrie, and, you know, maybe she can tell you if Miranda's non-binary, because I'm, I'm kind of lost in all this. Steve, I, I got some bad news for you. <laughs> Who the fuck called in with this? I'm not encouraging you guys to call in as the characters, but I'm not discouraging it either. This does feel like an accurate representation of where Steve would be mentally. And who he would go to, which are two unqualified people. Hi, my name is Andrew. Um, Long-time listener, second-time caller, I guess, at this point. Love the pod. I wanted to ask about, there's this Broadway actor, Isaac Powell, who was announced this summer that he's going to be a series regular and just like that. And word for word, he's portraying George, a student at the famed Fashion Institute of Technology, who is unconstrained by fashion and gender norms. So I just want to ask, like, what do you think happened to him, what do you think happened to that storyline? And what do you think the storyline would have been if he was actually in the show? I completely forgot about this. Yeah, look, so much has been thrown at us the last eight weeks. It's it's hard to keep track of everything. But I do remember when this was announced, we were convinced that Lily went to fashion school. But of course, these characters are not in college. Their children are not college age, even though they're definitely college age. I mean, he had to have a plot line that was connected to one of the main characters that they felt wasn't strong enough. Like, he could have been Carrie's intern. Maybe he was Lily's friend. And then they realized that the side characters had too many side characters. And one had to go. But how rough for that actor to be announced as a series regular. I know. And as someone on the fringe of the entertainment industry like myself, my dream is to have a deadline article that I can post on Instagram (laughs) and how rough to have that and then it be taken away from you. Yeah, that's brutal. Maybe that's a storyline they were saving for season two. Hi, this is Dawn. I was just listening to your uh, recap (laughs) about Charlotte's sorry, not sorry, uh, Demi Lovato quote, um, and just mentioning that you misgendered Demi Lovato, who is now they, them, which I don't say to shame you or anything else, but just to say that it just kind of ties into the rock storyline. And I thought that was interesting that somehow Charlotte is listening to Demi Lovato or knows maybe about their journey. I definitely did not mean to do that. I am sorry to Demi and the Lovatics, which is what their fans are called. I had to look this up and... The Urban Dictionary definition of a Levotic is so fucking rude, which is an insane individual who uses their love for Demi Lovato and self-harm issues as an excuse to be an asshole. I would like to think that Charlotte, in not trying to make Che expend emotional labor, instead Googled Demi Lovato to find out about non-binary people and issues. I think Charlotte just typed non-binary into Google and one of those BuzzFeed articles came up that was like 10 celebrities that you didn't know were non-binary. So now she's like listening to like Halsey and Demi and like Jonathan Van Ness's podcast and shit. What a good mom. Going back to the previous call, even though JVN was not in the original series, JVN feels like someone who should be in the show just as like a run-in like they're co-headlining something with che diaz maybe jvn was filming queer eye when they were shooting the show there's no call that jvn would love more than one like from their manager being like hey we just got a call from man just like that they're wondering if you're tech avail (laughs) 
Hi, Lauren and Chelsea. This is Maria from Florida, and I'm a huge fan of Sex and City and the podcast. Am I the only one that's getting major Mr. Big vibes from Shady yet? Yeah, I wonder if they were like, you know what? Who would Mr. Big be today? Like they wanted to make another Mr. Big, but like, let's make them non-binary. Switch it up. Yeah, they're all fuckboys. <laughs> Mr. Big was the fuckboy of his day. The fuckboy of today is Che. Yeah, Che is like early series big when Carrie found out that he was dating other women. And then moving to Paris and secretly coming back with a new girlfriend also feels like Che Diaz adjacent behavior. And it's interesting, we didn't get into this on the last episode when we were talking about the preview for this coming episode, but one of the things is Che is going to introduce Miranda to their family. So the way that they've written Che is very similar to how they wrote Mr. Big, which is there are all of these very red flag behavior of someone who's incredibly emotionally available and doesn't want to commit. But then again, in execution, it's like, but I'm going to introduce you to my family. And it's like, wait, hold on. We thought that we were going to get a storyline where they're like we're not monogamous right we're not dating but meet my mother also i think we should mention and a few people called in about this is that che does say that they're polyamorous in that scene where miranda is making the negroni and laughing listening to che's podcast they say something to the effect of like when i came out as bisexual non-binary and polyamorous but that I don't think that most of the audience heard that or got that. Also, wouldn't Che be Pan? One would think. Also, wouldn't Carrie know that Che is polyamorous and bring this up to Miranda at some point as a potential red flag? Not that, again, not that there's anything wrong with being polyamorous. Chelsea, maybe you didn't know this. Carrie's husband died, so <laughs> she can't do anything for the next year and a half. Hi, I was rewatching old episodes and I came upon the one that other people have pointed out where Charlotte admits that she just can't stand to give blowjobs and it's just not for her. And then a huge comic part and plot point even in this uh, last episode was, and in all the previews, was the part about Charlotte being down on her knees in the bathroom ready to give Harry a blowjob. And sure, love might make her blind to the part she doesn't like about blowjobs, but what's up with that? But then I thought, wait a minute, I sound like those people on those old Saturday Night Live bit where William Shatner went to a Star Trek convention and all the Trekkies were calling him on the plot flaws and issues with the plot and inconsistencies because they were true fans. And I'm wondering if we're all being a little bit that way. Yeah, Charlotte doesn't give head, but I guess Harry's cyber skin cock changed all of that. Yeah, maybe she found the right dick. Also, she's not the first character to completely betray a fundamental character trait portrayed in the series. So, yeah. So we just have to accept that. But these are the type of things that we can't help but notice. Although, yes, I agree that we are like the Trekkies in this William Shatner skit. A thousand percent. I think what's different from what has happened in the intervening years from the Star Trek sketch on SNL to now is whole industries are actually made of pointing things out. The difference is those nerds can now make money off of that. I did point out that I think that this show has made us into those YouTubers who break down like Easter eggs and Marvel trailers. <laughs> 
Yeah, I hate that for us. We're just as nerdy as the Trekkies. But one thing I was thinking about is that, like, why don't Sex and the City fans, like, have a name? Trekkies are called Trekkies. Sex and the City fans, like, that is, like, the longest, clunkiest phrase. And now it's not even inclusive of and just like that, you know? So I was thinking that maybe some of you guys listening could think of some ideas and call in and we could figure out what to call ourselves. What about fans of our show? Are they outfitters? No, I hate that. Well, yeah, also fans of this show. I don't know what they should be called. Every Outfitters? Now it sounds like we're Urban Outfitters. No, I hate that. I hate that. This episode is sponsored by FrameBridge, an online framing company that just happens to be Chelsea's obsession. FrameBridge makes it easier and more affordable than ever to frame your favorite things without ever leaving your home. I really do love FrameBridge. I actually placed an order this week because I recently got the movie poster for Totally Fucked Up, you know, the Greg Rocky movie. Yeah, Chelsea, I do. But can you stop cursing while we're doing these ad reads? I'm trying my best, Lauren. Anyway, I got that and I got a photo frame for Tat that I'm giving her for Valentine's Day. They have like this really cute heart-shaped matting option and I can just upload the photo directly to the site. Well, I hope she doesn't listen to this episode. (laughs) She's a few behind. It's fine. That's the great thing about FrameBridge. You can frame practically anything. Here's how it works. Just go to FrameBridge.com and upload your photo, or they'll send you packaging to safely mail in your physical pieces. Preview your item online in dozens of frame styles and gallery wall layouts. Choose your favorites or get free recommendations from their talented designers. The experts at FrameBridge will custom frame your item and deliver your finished piece directly to your door, ready to hang. Instead of the hundreds you'll pay at a framing store, their prices start at $39 and all shipping is free. Plus, our listeners will get 15% off their first order at FrameBridge.com when they use our code OUTFIT. You can order online at FrameBridge.com or stop by a FrameBridge store to work with the designer in person if you're in New York, D.C., Atlanta, Philly, Boston, or Chicago. Come on, FrameBridge. Open up a location in L.A. I know. They must hate people that live in Los Angeles. Get started today. Frame your photos or send someone the perfect gift. Go to FrameBridge.com and use promo code OUTFIT to save an additional 15% off your first order. Just go to FrameBridge.com, promo code OUTFIT. Did you say FrameBridge.com, promo code OUTFIT? (laughs) Hi, Lauren. Hi, Chelsea. Um, leaving another message because I'm obsessed with the oddity of And Just Like That and obviously your account and your podcast. A lot of people are talking about diversity on the show and, you know, the POV of people who aren't white. But I actually want to get your opinion on this being two white women like Is this show just a show made for white women to feel okay about diversity? Because you guys brought up a really funny point of view, which was, you know, Seema's storyline with her parents. It's how nobody gives a shit. And I couldn't agree more. Like, I'm South Asian and I don't give a shit about her parents. Like, I just want to see her be fabulous in her 50s running shit in Manhattan. Um, I think it's to make corporate entities feel better about diversity. (laughs) I mean, as a white woman, I don't know if it makes me feel better. Uh, And, you know, there's three women of color in the writer's room, so I highly doubt that this was anyone's intention. But as for Seema's parents, as the caller mentioned, I think the problem is that there's just so many characters that you can't devote that much time to any one thing. So when we have a scene like that, we're not into it because we'd rather have a brunch scene or a backstory about Carrie or a meaty plot line for Charlotte or something. Or Seema just doing something more fun 
And I know that we, a while back, got a, a call that we did not play on the show, but it was someone talking about the fact that they were a little upset at us that we said, we just want to cut these storylines out. And it's not that we dislike having a multitude of women of color on the show. It's more that they're just not serviced properly. And I think that if you focused on LTW or Seema as a singular character and built them out, I think it would be a richer show. Yeah. Totally. However, never cut LTW's mother. She's the MVP of and just like that. <laughs> Say what yeah, you want. My, that's my favorite side character of the side character. So maybe we're wrong. Look, if we had to get all of these other supporting characters for the supporting cast just to get LTW, sorry, LTW's mother-in-law, then uh, so be it. Hey there. My name is Veronica. First of all, Steve and Carrie together? I don't think so. That would be as though Andy ended up with Ducky in Pretty in Pink. And my other comment really is just, does anybody watch and just like that who has never watched Sex and the City? Chelsea originally wanted to play the second part of this question, but I made her play the first part of this question because, dear caller, you're talking to human IMDb over here, and interesting that you mentioned Andy and Ducky getting together because that was the original ending in Pretty in Pink. That is what John Hughes wrote. That is what they shot. It did poorly in screening. So they had to do a reshoot. They had to bring everyone back. If you notice the ending scene of Pretty in Pink... Andrew McCarthy is shot from a very far distance because he had lost a ton of weight and shaved his head and is wearing a terrible wig. Anyway, <laughs> just, just wanted to make that point. Thank you, IMDb Pro. But the real question was, is anyone watching and just like that who has not seen Sex in the City? It's never even occurred to me that someone could watch and just like that that hasn't seen Sex in the City. But I'm very curious about this. If anyone knows of someone that has watched and just like that without seeing Sex in the City, please get them to call into the hotline because I would love to hear their thoughts. This is Ingrid in Boston. Hi, you guys. You're the best. Charlotte has like an old school Brita pitcher in her refrigerator. She doesn't have like a bougie water filtration system in any other technology-ish way. She has an old school mildew Brita. Yeah, rich people have filtration systems. Like I have a Brita. Brita is for people who rent. Brita is not for the 1%. They shot this during the pandemic. I feel for the production designer that had to think of shit that would be in her fridge. The Brita takes a nice chunk of refrigerator space. This is us being uh, nitpicky, trekky assholes for sure. But as we've learned, there's others of you like us. So welcome. Hi, Chelsea. Hi, Lauren. I love your podcast. This is the one thing that helps me get through my weekly conniption. That is this show. Of course, Carrie had to turn the charitable opportunity into a vulnerable narcissist fest as she often does but the highly inappropriate footwear that she wore i feel like that was a missed opportunity for a manila blonic work boot or like an alaya hiking boot something in that nature what do y'all think those heels aren't even her style. I think those are the same heels she wears with the Forever 21 dress, or it's a very similar... Because I remember clocking in that episode that, you know, she's a, a slim heel, heel-muled Manolo Blahnik girl. She's not really that, like, Saint Laurent, chunky platform heel type of person. I don't know if these are Saint Laurent or if they're Terry de Havilland, probably a Saint Laurent copy of a Terry de Havilland shoe. Who knows? I do think that this would have been... I think the reality of this would be that Carrie would wear Crocs with like little like what are they called 
or like the Christopher Kane Crocs. Or... Christopher Kane Crocs, Balenciaga Crocs, something like that. Or the the Bottegas that have the the little heel with them. Yeah, I mean, I do think an Alaya hiking boot would be a fabulous choice as well. I think that's a good call. I don't know if I could have handled seeing that Alaya boot go into paint, though. That pony hair? No. So the new reboot has really made me nostalgic for the old show. And I was watching season 6B, so obviously Alexander Petrovsky is extremely prevalent. And I was thinking about his age. And he's in his, like, late, not maybe not late 60s, but he's in his 60s. He's essentially the same age as the And Just Like That cast is now. And I just think it's kind of confusing why he is positioned as this sexy older man who like has so much life left in him is like so attractive is like this really just cool artistic dude that is not geriatric but then now we're positioning all of our characters that we know and love as like old and uncool and geriatric so it's interesting that you mentioned petrovsky's age because that was very intentional by the writers during the series because I guess there was all this criticism that Big was too old for Carrie and so Michael Patrick King's answer to that was you want old I'll give you old for Carrie's boyfriend which I guess should have given us some idea of what we were getting within just like that if that is his response to things so it is yes Petrovsky's age is very intentional. Yeah, and he was portrayed as very cool, very culturally relevant. Carrie has not really gotten the same consideration. And yeah, that may speak to how women of a certain age feel in in society, that they are invisible and irrelevant. But this was a choice made by the writers. And in addition to Carrie not being framed as quote-unquote cool, she is also in this unaddressed career slump, unlike Petrovsky, who seemed to be uh, on the cutting edge of the art world. Which again goes back to just because something is true, is that how it should be represented? I mean, there's something to an aspirational view of these women to maybe reframe the narrative in culture. Right. And also, as I've made this point many times, you can just watch Real Housewives, any of the franchises in metropolitan cities, and see that women in their 50s are great. Hi, this is Chantel from Dallas. I just can't get over this continuity um, that's bothering me as far as the rings. Like, when did Big and Carrie get wedding rings? Wasn't it like a famous thing that she didn't want a ring, and then she cheated and kissed Aiden, and then he Big bought her that fabulous black diamond engagement ring? Like, I thought that's the only ring that Carrie had. Again, we're getting into Star Trek territory, but yes, what happened to the black diamond? The ring that she's coveting that she doesn't want to take off is is their wedding bands. We also had a couple people call in that believe that Lizette is going to melt down Carrie and Big's rings and create a new ring for her, which seems like something that would happen on this show. I did throw out to my grandmother that because my grandfather was cremated that did she have any interest in maybe carrying around his ashes in a necklace or something? And she looked at me as if I had grown a third head. She's like, I'm not doing that creepy Angelina Jolie, Billy Bob Thornton shit. Are you kidding? What am I, Patty Smith, walking around with Robert Maplethorpe? 
Pope's ashes in some sort of antique locket. So uh, people have said that maybe that Lizette would melt down the rings to make it a necklace as a nod to Carrie wearing Aiden's engagement ring as a necklace, which I don't think has the same significance. Carrie wore Aiden's engagement ring as a necklace as like a, a I don't really want to commit to you type of thing. Not a I'm never letting this go. I think she was sarcastically saying it was closer to my heart. <laughs> yeah, that was a full drag. Hi, Chelsea and Lauren. This is Trevor calling from Milwaukee. I think it was once they queued up Eye of the Tiger for the lamest sports montage ever committed to film that I began to confront the ugly truth. Uh, the odds of this series redeeming itself are about as likely as Chris Note getting a seat on the board of directors at Rain. Harsh. But I wanted to play this call because I love the energy of it. And I love the reference to Rain, a wonderful nonprofit for survivors of rape and sexual assault. Also, I don't think we discussed this, but Eye of the Tiger is from Rocky, a movie that is, of course, beloved by fans of Sex in the City. I thought you were saying because rock is rock. And then no, also- no, I mean the film rock. No, I understand what you're <laughs> saying. But also Sylvester Stallone would go on to play Rambo. Oh, right. Wow. How deep does this go? What I would give for a Sylvester Stallone cameo. <laughs> It is a strange pop culture reference to invoke, like referencing something like the way we were feels more aligned with the Sex in the City viewer, but whatever. Yeah, I mean, Eye of the Tiger is used in Rocky for the training montage, and it is an oft-used needle drop, either purposefully, you know, purposefully to mimic the montage sequence or as a satire. So I think it's being used satirically. It's definitely being used satirically. And can the show be redeemed? You know what? That's in the eye of the, like the eye of the tiger. It's in the eye of the beholder. So someone left a call. And as we've denoted in our message, if you don't want the call played, we won't play it. And this person did not. However, we love the question. So we're just going to say what it was. This person asked if Tant, Chelsea's wife, who does have a vomit phobia, if you've listened to previous episodes of our podcast, was triggered by Carrie and her boyfriend vomiting on the first date. So we got Tat to call in and leave a voicemail. Here it is. Hi guys, it's me. Chelsea asked if my view on that vomit man would be tainted, and the answer is yes. Firstly, I've reacted very differently if someone threw up on my feet like that, and secondly, I mean, obviously I would never see him ever again. Anyway, that's my hot take. Bye! Uh, where were we? <gasps> Rihanna is pregnant, expecting first child with ASAP Rocky. Oh my god, did Ty just send that to you? No, I just, sorry, I went on Just Jared while you were checking your phone and it just popped up. (laughs) Wow. Oh, my God. So she's never releasing music again. Hello. Love you. Love the pod. It's Chris from New York. I just wanted to say that I think Molly and Danny have done such an extraordinary job with the costumes not as totally bonkers gonzo as the second movie and but the jacket that carrie is wearing at the when they don't get into the club and then at the dinner they called rum raisin which i believe the first time that it appeared anywhere was in the second movie seeing aiden which i thought was going to kind of tee up the aiden moment or that he was on her mind or something i don't think that happened and i don't know that that's bleeding towards that but it makes me wonder is aiden going to be in the finale yes so this is the only aiden related fashion callback that we've gotten right yeah and i think the only sex in the city 2 fashion reference 
yeah in the show to be fair i've only seen sex in the city two like three times so i'm not like hyper attuned to what they were wearing but i don't think we've seen anything from that movie yeah i hope to god that adam will show up in the finale someone needs to come in and shake things up and that should tell you how how we feel about the show and the state of the show that we are hoping that aiden comes back into the fray yeah, this is a take I really thought I would never have, but, you know. And we're Team Steve. I mean, again, going back to the the David Lynch of it all, maybe this was Michael Patrick King's intention the entire time. I think Steve needs to have a hot young girlfriend, like, immediately. Lizette? Yes, Steve and Lizette. Uh, could you imagine if Steve just became Eric Dane from Euphoria and just was, like, a sexual animal? <laughs> Oh, God. Yeah, I don't know what to expect from the finale besides the things we've seen in the preview, of course. I'm going in clear-minded. Oh, yeah. No one's going into the finale more clear-minded than you and I. Also, can we watch the finale together? Because we've never watched the show together. And by together, do you mean at like Wednesday 11.59 when it goes over to Thursday 12 a.m.? We'll be Exactly. Together. Exactly. It's our version of Christmas. We'll be back at you with our review of that episode in only a few short days. I truly cannot wait. I hope you don't get stuck in New York, though. The snow isn't even, it's like a foot of snow. It's not even like anything. There you go. All right, guys. Thank you to all of our lovely callers. And uh, we'll see you guys later in the week. Bye. 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 